This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You and your life partner have worked so hard for many years. You started your life together when you were young. You both worked long hours and took abuse from terrible employers. Many nights, dinners were ramen noodles because that is all you could afford. And most days, your lunch choices were bologna or tuna sandwiches. Except that one day, when all you had was bread and mayonnaise. Years went by, and you both did without, and scraped and saved until you finally bought your first little home. It was quaint and small, but it was yours. Over the next few years, you build your savings account together, and you build your dream. Someday is a word that you use often. Then something life-changing happens. Your partner, friend, and love of your life informs you that soon two will become three. Three was a nice number, and you made so many memories. But while you were busy with life and work, suddenly three was about to become four. Your family was outgrowing your small home. Looking over your finances together, you both are elated when you realize that someday has finally come. You can finally afford that dream home, the home where you will raise your children, the home where they will one day bring your grandchildren to visit. But what if someone or something takes that dream and turns it into your worst nightmare. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week we are discussing The Watcher House on 657 Boulevard. Was it just a deranged neighbor? Or maybe the house was haunted? But the scariest question is, will the present and future owners be safe? This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Mommy and Daddy bought us a dream house. I am so excited. There are so many places to play, and the backyard is huge. 
We got to go see it today, and my new room is so much bigger than my old room. I will need a lot more toys and things to fill it up. They said we can't move in yet because the house has to be painted, and some things need to be fixed, but Mommy said I can pack a box of my things and take them to my new room. I can't wait. I finally got to see our new house, and it is almost a mansion. It is so big. There are stairs, which I love, but there is also an attic and a basement. The basement is kind of scary. I noticed a strange man standing across the street when I was carrying my box in. He was staring at our new house. Maybe he's wondering who the new neighbors are. Maybe tomorrow he will introduce himself. I hope he has kids. A little girl my age would be the best. I packed some books, my keyboard, and my paints and easel. I can't take much more until my room is done and the furniture is moved in. When I got to my new room, I unpacked my box. I dumped the books in the floor and put my keyboard close to the window. The paints I may take outside on the porch later so that I can paint some flowers. I laid in the floor and read my books, but I kept hearing whispering. I thought it was my brother playing a trick on me. He is older and always teasing me. I think it is his favorite thing to do. I got up to check my closet, but my brother was not in there. It was empty. I looked out into the hall, but no one was there. I scratched my head and wondered where the whispering was coming from. I leaned against the wall to listen and think, and boy, wow, that is when I noticed. The whispering was coming from inside the walls. It must be a draft. Daddy will have to fix that too, or have one of the workers doing the repairs fix it. The sound was getting annoying. Mommy says I use big words for my age. Anyways, I took my paints and easel outside onto the porch so I wouldn't have to hear it anymore. I painted three pictures. I painted one of the porch swing with mommy on it holding my little sister. The next one I painted was of all of us standing by the big tree that is in the front yard with the house behind us. The last one I painted was of my favorite flower, the sunflower. They are so big and bright. I was painting the petals when I noticed the man again, but this time he was standing closer. He was in our yard a little and he was watching me paint. I smiled and waved at him, but he just turned and walked away. It ended up being a weird day. Dad checked the mail and got upset. The police showed up and Mom and Dad made us go upstairs to play. I don't understand why anyone would call the police because of the mail. Maybe someone put something bad in our mailbox. I'm glad they made us go upstairs. We played hide and seek, and I made a new friend. I went to hide in my room and found a little boy in my closet. He said that he used to live there and that I should call him Max. He seemed nice, so I asked him if he wanted to play with us. He smiled and said, yes, I would love to. After my brother found us hiding in the closet, I tried to introduce him to my new friend. 
but he called me stupid and said I was too old for imaginary friends. I told him, fine, we would play by ourselves. My brother stomped off and I read books with Max. After we finished the last book, we talked about the house. He said that it was his family's job to take care of the house. He said they kept an eye on it to make sure that no one ever heard it. I thought that was cool until he told me that they would punish anyone who hurt the house. And he said that his father was angry because daddy and mommy were tearing things apart and changing the house. When we went back to the new house the next day, we had to play outside because the painters had started on our bedrooms. The backyard was big, so there were lots of places to explore and things to do, but mom yelled every five minutes if she couldn't see us. My parents were acting strange. My dad got angry a lot that day, and my mom acted like she was scared that we would disappear if she couldn't see us. I wish I was older so they would tell me what was bothering them. Max showed up again today, but he just stood at the bedroom window and stared into the backyard. I yelled and told him to come play, but he never moved. I was glad he didn't come outside. The things he told me yesterday scared me. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Derek Broadus and his family thought they were moving into their dream home until a series of disturbing letters arrived by mail. The letters were signed, The Watcher. 
Derek and Maria Broadus had fulfilled a dream when they purchased their new six-bedroom home at 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey. Maria was raised in Westfield, and the new house was just a few blocks from her childhood home. Derek grew up working class in Maine, then moved his way up the ladder at an insurance company in Manhattan to become a senior vice president with a salary large enough to afford the $1.3 million house. The Broadduses had bought 657 Boulevard just after Derek celebrated his 40th birthday, and their three kids were already debating who would get which room. One evening in June 2014, Derek had just finished a day of painting at their new home when he went outside to check the mail. Derek and Maria had closed on the six-bedroom house just three days earlier and were doing renovations before they moved in, so there wasn't much in the mail except a few bills and a white, card-shaped envelope. It was addressed to the new owner and began with a warm greeting. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. As Derek continued to read the letter from his new neighbor, the letter turned from a warm greeting into a disturbing rant. How did you end up here? The writer asked. Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? The letter went on. 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. It soon became apparent that the author was not only watching them, but taking very detailed and unsettling notes. The letter went on to identify the Broadus' Honda minivan, as well as the workers they had hired to renovate their home. I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. The person wrote, Tisk tisk tisk, bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. Earlier that week, Derek, Maria, and their three children had made a stop at the house. They had visited with their new neighbors while their children, who were five, eight, and 10 years old, played in the backyard with several kids from the neighborhood. It wasn't long before they were aware that the writer of the letters had taken notice. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Are there more on the way? Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. The envelope came with no return address. Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. 
Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. In conclusion, the letter ended with a suggestion that it was just the beginning. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. Signed, The Watcher. Derek Broadus was alone when he read this letter. It was well after 10 p.m. He ran through the house, turning off the lights so no one could see inside. He then called the Westfield Police Department. An officer arrived at the house and read the letter. He asked Derek if he had any enemies and then recommended moving a piece of construction equipment from the back porch in case someone tried to toss it through a window. When the officer left, Derek rushed back to his family, who were still living in their old home elsewhere in Westfield. Together that night, Derek and Maria sent an email to John and Andrea Woods, the couple who sold them 657 Boulevard, to ask them if they had any idea who the watcher might be, or if they had any idea why he or she had written to them. In one previous letter, the watcher had written, I asked the Woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened. The next morning, Andrea Woods replied. A few days before moving out, the Woods had also received a letter from the Watcher. She said that the letter had been odd and made a similar mention of the Watcher's family observing the house over time. But Andrea claimed she and her husband had never received anything like it during their 23 years of living in the house and had thrown the letter away without much more thought. Later that day, the Woods went with Maria to the police station, where a detective told them not to tell anyone about the letters, including the new neighbors. Maria had only met a few of them at this point, but all of them were now suspects. The Broadus family were vigilant over the next several weeks. Derek canceled a work trip, and when Maria took the kids to the new house, she would yell their names if they wandered to a corner of the yard that she could not see. Two weeks later, Maria stopped by the house to look at some paint samples and to check the mail. She instantly recognized the thick black lettering on a card-shaped envelope and called the police. This letter read, Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy, and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch, have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. This time, the watcher had addressed Derek and Maria directly, but misspelled their names. It seemed like the watcher had been close enough to possibly hear the workers address them. He boasted about having learned a lot about the family in the preceding weeks, especially about their children. The letter named the children by birth order and by their nicknames, the ones he may have heard Maria yelling. I am pleased to know your names now and the names of the young blood you have brought me. You certainly say their names often. The letter asked about one child in particular, whom the writer had seen using an easel inside an enclosed porch. Is she the artist in the family? He asked. 
The letter continued. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the Watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving day. You know I will be watching. Derek and Maria stopped bringing their kids to the house. They were no longer sure when or if they would ever move in. Several weeks later, a third letter arrived in the mail. Where have you gone to? The watcher wrote. 657 Boulevard is missing you. Are you one of those Hoboken transplants who are ruining Westfield? The house is crying from all the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room, imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old and so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend and now it's my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. 
Deeply troubled by the letters, the Broadduses continued to reach out to the Westfield police. Detective Leonard Lugo led the investigation. For a time, Lugo suspected next-door neighbor Michael Langford, who had been diagnosed with schizophrenia. However, DNA found on one of the envelopes indicated that a woman had sealed them with her saliva and that the sample didn't match anyone in the Langford home. Furthermore, Michael Langford denied any involvement and his family backed him up, saying there was no way he would write such a threatening note. Desperate for answers, the Broadduses enlisted a slew of experts to investigate. Derek reached out to the real-life FBI agent who inspired the character of Clarice Starling in Silence of the Lambs, with whom he was on a school board of trustees. The Broadduses also tapped former FBI agent Robert Linehan to do a threat assessment on the letters. His analysis showed that the writer was likely an older person based on vocabulary and their habit of double spacing after a period. Linehan concluded that the letter writer didn't appear overtly threatening, but their obviously erratic thoughts could suggest unpredictability. They also hired the security firm Kroll to look for handwriting matches to the envelopes, but none emerged. Still determined to get answers, the family hired a forensic linguist and former member of the band Sha Na Na, Robert Leonard, to scour local forums for language patterns that resembled the mysterious watcher's notes. But all of these efforts came to nothing. Despite assembling an incredible investigative team, the Broadduses had no answers. The letters continued, and the Broaddus family were completely at their wits' end. The town of Westfield was idyllic, and they so loved the new house but they were in constant fear of the Watcher. The fourth and final letter they received read, 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass, and for you to bring me the young blood back. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. At the end of the day, it came down to, what are you willing to risk, Maria Broadus said. We weren't going to put our kids in harm's way. Finally, six months after the first letter arrived, Derek and Maria put the house on the market, asking for a bit more than they had paid as they had assumed their renovations would raise the value. However, after they disclosed the bizarre watcher letters to potential buyers, all offers fell through. In 2016, the Broadduses made a brief effort to have the house torn down and redevelop the lot. Their plans weren't approved, but a final letter from the Watcher arrived, threatening to exact revenge on them if they harmed the house. Maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, 
Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. It went on to say, You wonder who the Watcher is? Turn around, idiots. After years on the market, the Watcher house finally sold in 2019, with the Broadduses taking a $440,000 loss. Residents of Westfield view the town as a real-life Mayberry, the fictional small town that served as the backdrop to The Andy Griffith Show. The website, Neighborhood Scout, listed it as one of the top 30 safest communities in America in 2014. And as of 2019, it had a median household income of $159,923. But the affluent suburb has been the scene of other horrors in the past. In 1970, a man named John List infamously murdered his wife, mother, and three children in their Westfield home. But that horrifying crime had since become a distant memory and most people in Westfield felt secure in their community. In 2018, the Westfield Watcher passed the Jersey Devil as the New Jersey's top urban legend, according to the website Thrillist. According to the site, the Westfield Watcher joins the ranks of New Mexico's Chupacabra, Maryland's Goatman, the Phantom Jogger of Canyon Hill in Idaho, and of course, the infamous Florida Skunk Ape. Thrillist included in their rationale why each entry was creepy and where it came from. In the case of the Westville Watcher, Thrillist said that it surpassed the Jersey Devil because there is doubt of the Devil's existence. But there is no doubt from the neighborhood of Westfield, New Jersey and others in the community or the Broadduses that the Watcher does exist. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Max wasn't supposed to be in the house. Mommy said we had to play outside so the painters could work. He never came outside, and he never got caught. I would have got caught. I always do. On the way back to our old house, Mommy and Daddy were quiet. They usually talk a lot about what they are going to do to the new house and new things they wanted to buy for it. Even at five years old, I knew to just let them be quiet and not ask questions. It felt like ages before I got to go back to the new house, but it was probably more like a week. We got to meet some of the neighbors and their kids. Max didn't like them. And for some strange reason, no one could see Max but me. We went out into the backyard to play, but as usual, Max didn't want to go. 
He stared from the bedroom window for a bit, but I guess he decided to go home because the last time I looked, he was gone. I hope he's not mad at me, but I like to play outside too, and the neighbor kids are really cool. We stayed later than usual today, and Mommy and Daddy seemed to be in a much better mood. The neighbors left right before dark, so we went inside. Mommy said we could come back on the weekend, but we didn't. Mommy went by the new house while we were at school. I overheard her talking to Daddy. She was really upset about the mail again, and somebody who was watching the new house. I wonder if the man I had seen had done something to make Mommy mad. I hope we get to move soon. My room is almost packed. I can't wait to set up my new room. I woke up to something scary tonight. I heard my mommy screaming down the hallway in her bedroom. I ran to check on her and daddy said it was okay that she just had a nightmare. I had a nightmare once. It was about spiders. They were crawling up my bed and I woke up before they reached my toes. I cried and mommy held me until I fell back to sleep. Today was a sad day. Daddy says we're not moving into the new house. He said that something is broken there that can't be fixed. I asked him what and he said it was grown-up stuff and he would explain when I was older. I went to school sad and told all of my friends the bad news. Some of them gave me hugs, but a few were happy that I will still live close to them. I had to ride the bus home today. I saw that man from the new house. He was standing across the street from the house we live in now. He was just staring as usual. I didn't wave at him this time. He is starting to creep me out. After I ate some cookies, I followed my brother outside even though he was yelling, Stop following me! He is mean like that a lot, but I suppose most brothers are. The creepy man was still there, so I told my brother. He looked and shrugged his shoulders as he climbed onto his bike. I watched him ride off around the corner of the house. I was a little nervous to be alone, so I looked back towards the street, but the creepy man was gone. I went back inside to my bedroom. I didn't want to play alone outside. I sat on the edge of my bed and looked around the room. It was so small. There was only a tiny place to set up my dollhouse on the floor. That made me sad again. At first, I had been upset that we weren't moving to the big new house. But the things Max had told me were scary. And I wondered if he had somehow scared my daddy and mommy too. I was sitting in the floor playing with my dolls when I heard it. I could hear whispering just like in the new house. I checked the closet, but no one was in there. I put my ear to the wall, but the whispering wasn't coming from there either. I was a little scared, but I needed to find where it was coming from so maybe I wouldn't be scared anymore. I walked down the hall and right by the basement door, it got louder. I wasn't supposed to go into the basement because Daddy kept his tools down there and it was dark. But now I recognize the whispers. 
It was Max. I opened the door and turned on the light. It wasn't a very bright light, but I could see the stairs. I walked down them being careful not to trip, and at the very bottom I stopped and looked around. There was only one tiny window and underneath it where the light was shining was Max. He was sitting on my daddy's workbench. He looked up at me and smiled. I smiled back and he motioned for me to come sit next to him. After I sat down, Max put his arm around me. He said, You know, you can come live with me in the new house and you can stay there forever. All you have to do is learn from me. I will teach you what my daddy taught me and what my grandfather taught him. This short story was inspired by the true events that took place after the Broaddus family purchased 657 Boulevard. While what happened to the Broaddus family is true, the short story is completely fictional. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore, the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying tales such as Unexplained Encounters and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can mail them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Tune in next week as we talk about the urban legend and harbinger of death, the Mothman. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.